The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of you that are listening with us today. We're very glad that you're tuned in, and uh, as you know, we always have great guests and great topics here on Spirit of Recovery. We love getting your emails and seeing your posts on Facebook, so thank you so much for keeping in touch. And uh, we know that what's happening here on Spirit of Recovery is touching your heart and opening up new uh, ideas for you about recovery and bringing you lots of inspiration um, from the guests that we have here. And thank you also for letting your friends uh, know about Spirit of Recovery and also the people that are in your recovery community and your unity community and your other spiritual communities. We're just uh, very grateful that you're spreading the word about Spirit of Recovery. We love broadcasting on this topic and um, knowing that uh, it is blessing you and, and giving you some great ideas and some enthusiasm to deepen your recovery. Know that you can, uh, in addition to listening to Spirit of Recovery here online, you can listen uh, to archived programs anytime at www.unity.fm backslash program, backslash Spirit of Recovery. Also, you can listen to Spirit of Recovery on your smartphone. So uh, be sure to uh, give that a try. And uh, it's, it's great. There's lots and lots of ways that you can listen to the Spirit of Recovery and to the other great programs here on Unity Online Radio. You know, our guests are always people who are down to earth, who are knowledgeable, and who are innovative. They're people who are in recovery themselves or who they work with or write for recovering people, and lots of times all of the above. Our guests are bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions to get you thinking. The spirit of recovery is a welcoming place, and so if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're a family member or friend of somebody that's in recovery or somebody that has the disease of addiction or you're just simply interested and curious about the process of recovery, know that you're welcome here at the Spirit of Recovery and we welcome your participation in our discussions. 
Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor. I'm also a person who has in my circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction, and those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and recovery and spiritual development years ago. And ever since then, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles, and it sure keeps my life growing and keeps me transforming and keeps me um, living in ever deeper ways. So I'm very grateful to the 12-step process um, and to spiritual principle and uh, very grateful to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you. Today our topic is what it takes to be young and sober. And my guest is Daniel Krasner. Daniel is on the staff at the ranch at Dovetree, which is a treatment center in Texas. And he is also a person who's in recovery. Daniel is, he gave me permission to tell you his age here on the air, but he's uh, 25 years old and that's going to become relevant because he's going to talk um, not only about what he knows from the treatment perspective and so forth, but he's also going to be talking about what he's experienced as a young adult um, in recovery and in a unique kind of recovery program that addresses the needs of young adults. Um, so, Daniel, thanks for being with us here today on Spirit of Recovery. You're very welcome. I'm glad I can do it. Yeah, thanks Thanks for taking the time. Um, Certainly, there's been a lot of information over the last uh, few years, and I think uh, most of us that have spent any time on a college campus uh, kind of know this through our own experience, that college campuses are famous for being uh, places where there is a lot of drinking and using going on, and um, there's been a lot of concern uh, about binge drinking and, and, you know, Unfortunately, when somebody dies as a result of that or some other incident involving alcohol or other drugs, it gets a lot of publicity. So um, what do you see that young adults that do have the disease of addictions face when they want to get clean and sober or when they're trying to get in recovery and they're on a college campus? What's that like? Well, I mean, I would say, you know, if they're on a college campus – you know, one of the big influences to everything you do in college socially is drugs and alcohol. Um, and students who struggle with drugs and alcohol or students who are trying to get sober or who, you know, are already in recovery, um, you know, there's resources for them on campus. Um, a lot of schools have started collegiate recovery communities, which are, you know, basically communities on college that are supported through the staff at the college, the administration, um, where they can have resources and a community of support on the college campus. Um, I would say, though, a lot of individuals delay college or avoid college because, you know, they may be scared of a relapse. Um, I think that, you know, when most young adults relapse, because of social situations, because there are drugs and alcohol present. And, you know, usually if you go to, you know, an adult gathering, it's, you know, it's not so likely that there's going to be drugs present, maybe alcohol. But, you know, drugs are, you know, they're big on a college campus. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you um, see, have you seen that increasing over the years, or do you think it's different than maybe it was in your parents' generation? Or I don't know if, if... if you have a basis to make a comparison like that, or do you think do you think that the young adults of today 
on campuses are facing things different than than people maybe of your parents' generation or not? I think um, my uh, my opinion is I think drug use has become more socially acceptable when they're not in the dependent stage. Therefore, I think, yeah, you know, it's become more of an issue on college campuses and just with young adults. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know that one concern, you know, that you read a lot about in some of it's just in the popular news and some of it's in, in the professional information that I read, but is the, the uh, concern about the illegal use of prescription drugs, you know, that people uh, get prescription um, painkillers or other kinds of things and then either they get stolen by children by I mean by their children by young adults or by other people or they just or people just give them away or whatever is that do you think that's a big issue that goes on on campus is the illegal use of prescription drugs absolutely I think that's I think that's an issue everywhere not just on a college campus just um, you know a lot of people who come into treatment are because of you know illegally using prescription drugs that you know weren't prescribed for them mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that's available for people, and like you said, kind of using it, quote, recreationally and, and maybe uh, obviously really creating problems. You said something really interesting a minute ago. You said sometimes you think that some young people will choose not to go to college, people that are in recovery, because they're concerned that they might um, relapse. Could you talk yeah. about that a little bit more? What's, how, much, how much do you see that going on? Um, well, I think there's a lot of different different reasons. It may not just be relapse. It may be, you know, um, you know, maybe they didn't they used all through high school, and when it comes that they finished high school because they cheated their way through or whatever, they finished somehow, and they don't feel like they can compete on a college campus with people who didn't take for granted high school, um, and then that occurs, and then they feel like you know. Like I said, they can't do college. They won't pass classes. They won't fit in. And then there's the other aspect with the, you know, the relapse or being left alone on a college campus, not having friends, not having anything to do on the weekends, being stuck in your dorm room, not having anybody to go to football games with, um, you know, not having a social life. And then there's the people who want to have a college social life and, you know, they try going to parties and try doing these things and, um, you know, one of the things I've learned is you, you can't live a drunk man's life sober. And uh, eventually, if you keep putting yourself in that situation, you know, you're probably going to end up relapsing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, um, so in, in addition, so it's like, it sounds like there's a lot of pressures, as you said, for somebody that's in recovery, like to just find a peer group, even. That, yeah. You know, that's, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, young, what, um, young adults trying to find, I mean, young adults. I mean, or anybody, really, you know, you want to have friends, and usually the people you associate with are doing the same things you are. And a lot of the times, you know, if it's drugs and alcohol, that's what your friends are going to be doing. And, you know, these collegiate recovery communities were, you know, one of the reasons they were developed is so your peer network is, you know, doing the same things you are, you know, striving for something better and getting sober and, Mm -hmm. you know, achieving an education. Right, right. Now, I know that, and we'll talk a little bit later about the specific uh, collegiate recovery program that, that the ranch at Dovetree is affiliated with. You also, though, participated in 
in one of these in another state. Tell us about how you got involved with that and what that was like for you. I got involved with it. I probably had about four years sober when I found out about the collegiate recovery community. Um, And it was, I went to a school in Mississippi for mm, three years or so. and I decided to move back home, which is Georgia for me. And a guy, a young guy in Alcoholics Anonymous told me about, he said, you should check out this. It was called the Collegiate Recovery Center. And the school was Kennesaw State in Georgia. And he said, you should check it out. And to me in my head, that sounded like, some aftercare or something for people who couldn't get sober. And I didn't really know what it was, but I decided for some reason to go, you know, check it out. And I talked to the ladies who run the program, and I found out what it was. And my experience with it, it changed my college experience because I went to a college where before where I had no friends on campus, really. My whole life was in a 12-step program. You know, those are the people I associated with. Um, everything I did was revolving around that, whether it was just hanging out with friends from the program or going to meetings, but I didn't have a life on college. I went to class and I left. Um, I didn't hang out in the student union or anything like that. And then when I went to the school, all of a sudden I walk into this room and I have 20 friends who are all in recovery. They're all striving for the same things, people to hang out with on the weekends, people to hang out with on campus, a place to go in the middle of the day, um, a place to go to meetings and, you know, see your friends at meetings on campus. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, know, you said that... Yeah, go ahead. I mean, it changed my college experience. It made me feel like, you know, I was at a four-year major university and I was living somewhat of a college life socially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So before, if when you were in college in Mississippi and, and like you said, your worlds were really separate, your college was college but not really social and your social life was outside in the recovery community, what was that how did that feel for you? I mean, did that contribute to you saying, I don't want to stay in college when you were in, in the college in Mississippi? Um, you know, not for me. Um, you know, I, I guess I was fortunate and um, God was with me the entire time I was in school and still is, but um, I always felt supported through my recovery community that I needed to stay in school and it was one of the reasons I got sober for and you know that was you know very important to me but I know a lot of people who you know had you know quit school because you know it's hard to balance the two you know staying sober and going to college and if you can figure it out um, it's very difficult to figure out on your own but if you can figure it out um, you become a very good student but I never you know I worked really hard at college and it was really hard for me the first two mm-hmm. years, the last, the last three years were, they were pretty easy. You know, I'd studied, I'd become smarter, um, but it never, you know, it never occurred to me that, you know, this wasn't for me. Um, I was going to make it work. Right. So you were, you were hanging in there and, and, and as you said, working at it anyway, it was just that, that the social life and the, the college didn't, didn't go together exactly, but you were still hanging in there with it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so, it didn't go together at all. I'd study in meetings, like you know, it, there wasn't it was the two didn't mesh for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you say when you went to Kennesaw in Georgia that that it changed your college experience and that you had peers and so forth. How did that, um, I guess, internally affect you? Did it make college more pleasant for you? Did it make you even more motivated? Or what what did it do for you inside that that you did have peers now that you could? hang out with? 
that were in recovery. Well, you know, yeah, it gave me it gave me friends to be able to do things with. Um, you know, it gave me it it created a lot less stress in my life because I worked in college. Um, and you know, for me, my life was I'd go to school, I'd go to work, and then I'd go to a meeting. You know, it created very long days, um, and it allowed me to go to school, go to a meeting during between classes go to another class and go to work and, you know, have a normal day at the end of the day, you know, get out of work at six and have a nightlife, you know, Mm -hmm. spending time with friends or family. But it allowed me, you know, personally, um, you know, I had figured out college. Um, Mm -hmm. College wasn't hard for me. Classes didn't stress me out, things like that. But there's a lot of, you know, people with less time sober, no college experience, first time that really struggled and it gave me an opportunity to somewhat mentor them and, you know, help them walk the ropes a little bit. Right. So you were able to really give service right there in in the midst of your life. Yeah, I was able to give back, you know, help people build class schedules, tutor them somewhat, help write papers, anything I could do. I mean, I really believed in it and I, you know, I wish, I'm glad I had my experience where I had two sides of it without, you know, a collegiate recovery community and with, but I mean, um, college would have been a whole lot easier if I had went to a school from the beginning that had a collegiate recovery community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How long have those been around? And I, as I had uh, talked with you earlier, I first heard about the collegiate recovery communities when I was in my uh, master's program in Minnesota in 2008, 2009. I, there was a program in Minneapolis at a college, and I'd never heard of that in my life. I thought, what a fabulous idea. And they were on campus for us, that trying to recruit some of us to come and, and work for them in their program. Uh, and I was just amazed. I thought it was a great idea. But when did that get started? I, as I said, I'd never heard of it before, 2009, I guess. Well, Texas Tech, mm-hmm. Texas Tech program, I, I want to say um, I could be wrong. I'm not 100% sure. I wish I knew. I think it's been around for about, um, I think it started about 30 years ago. Wow. Um, but I think it's gotten much larger in the last, you know, it started, it started as a class, like a, a room the size of a closet and now it's a huge three story building. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's grown over the years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, how that thought we're, it's time for us to go on break. And when we come back, we'll hear more about it in the details of how that, uh, how that one works. So, um, Listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back. It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listener support to broadcast the messages of unity to an awakening world. To contribute, visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. If you've tuned in for Touching the Stillness with host Reverend Paulette Pipe, then you know the power of her soul-stirring meditations. And if her programs leave you wanting more, you can purchase her meditation CD, 
touching the stillness. And you'll be able to take Paulette's calming voice along with you wherever you go. This enthralling CD contains three separate self-contained meditations that can either be listened to in one sitting or one at a time. Whatever your preference, Paulette's mesmerizing voice will transport you beyond thoughts and sounds to a sacred place of stillness and soul remembrance. So go ahead, enliven your meditation practice with the Touching the Stillness CD from Reverend Paulette Pipe and let the stillness touch you. To obtain your copy, go to www.unity.org and click on Shop. That's www.unity.org and click on Shop. From on the air to on the sea, pack your bags and come with me. Hey, hey, what you waiting for? An early winter rendezvous with all the things you love to do. Hey, hey, treat yourself to more. A little more summer, a little more sun, a little less work and a lot more fun. A little more beach, a little more sand. A little less stress and a lot more pain. Join your favorite Unity Online Radio hosts for Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. On this fun-filled Caribbean adventure, enjoy sunshine, exceptional dining, and island excursions. Feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation, plus one-on-one time with some of your favorite hosts. That's Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. To learn more, go to unity.fm slash cruise. A little more sunset, a little more sea, a little less do and a lot more be. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery@unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is what it takes to be young and sober. And my guest today is Daniel Krasner. Daniel is a clinical solutions provider for the ranch at Dove Tree, which is in Lubbock, Texas. And uh, their website is www.ranchatdovetree.com if you'd like to see more about their programs. And Daniel is uh, speaking with us today about what it's like for young adults to be in recovery. And he's speaking to us about uh, the treatment programs, about what special things there are for young people, and uh, very specifically about the concept of a collegiate recovery community, about supporting young adults in college, on campus, with uh, peer support of, of other young adults that are in recovery. But before we get back to our conversation, I invite you to join me for a brief moment of meditation, our Serenity Minute. So I invite you to relax and share with me this constructive idea. I let go and I trust the spirit within me to guide me in productive paths. I let go 
and I trust the spirit within me to guide me in productive paths. Thank you for joining me in the Serenity Minute. So now we're back talking with my guest, Daniel Krasner, um, who is a clinical solutions provider at the ranch at Dove Tree. And uh, so, Daniel, right before our break, we were talking about the collegiate recovery community, and you have participated in one of these at uh, Kennesaw College in Georgia. And also now, um, as a professional, you are uh, part of that uh, program that the ranch at Dove Tree has. It's, uh, it has a... Uh, it's involved or in a partnership with Texas Tech University here uh, in Texas with a collegiate recovery program. So you were telling us a bit about how that works. So what are some of the parts of that collegiate recovery program? What are the different components um, that uh, participants can can use in that program? At Texas Tech? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, at Texas Tech, uh, basically the program, it's for – it's. You know, it's for students who are in recovery. Um, they have, once you have a year sober, you can apply to get into the program. And if you get accepted into the program, you get your out-of-state fees waived. You get, uh, so you become an in-state resident, tuition-wise. Uh, you get some sort of scholarship money. Uh, there's 12-step meetings on campus, priority registration. Uh, they have a, the, the requirement they have is, you know, the 12-step meeting once a week at least on campus, and they have a seminar they have to attend once a week. And that's kind of, it's a, you know, it's a small group, and they talk about different recovery and school topics, school-related topics, and they get an hour class credit for it, actually. Um, but the thing is they have the entire support from all the other students who are in recovery, between 80 and 100 students, all the staff that's there, um, it's, you know, it's a pretty incredible thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do they have sober living? Like, do they live together in one location, or how does that work? Uh, I believe most of the students live off campus at Texas Tech, but they do. They have a sober. They have a floor and a dorm that's for them. Not the entire like the entire dorm, but just the floor for sober mm-hmm. students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are some of the outcomes that uh, that come from this? Does it seem like that, uh, and obviously you said in your situation, when you were a student, it worked really well. What is it, uh, do you have any stories or any um, thoughts about the outcome that, that they see, how it's affecting students in the Texas Tech program? Yeah, well, you know, they've done, they've done research on it, and, you know, they've recorded the results, and in, in general, the communities of collegiate recovery centers, um, they have a GPI, GPA excuse me, that's higher than the rest of the student body. Um, I, the relapse rate is less than 3%, and, you know, they have a much higher student retention than, you know, the rest of the student body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, several of them go on to grad school, and I would say most graduate with jobs. I mean... I think for the most part, you're dealing with students who really want um, the sober and recovered way of life, and they're highly motivated to do better for themselves. Do they tend to be uh, older students, or do they tend to be students that are are right, real traditional college age, like 18 to 22, or do they tend to be a little older? I would say 
average is probably between 18 and 26, 27. But, you know, there's people who are in these programs who um, finished school years ago and want to come back or never had a college education. You know, I've seen people in their 50s and their 40s and people getting doctorates and things like that are in the programs. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. It's it really shows the power of that of that desire to live a constructive life that that makes such a big difference in people forging ahead and doing what you know doing what there is to do in their world. It's good. Absolutely, and it it allows for you know many of these um, students and or young adults wouldn't have been able to get into college otherwise because. Basically, the collegiate recovery centers have, they I don't want to say a way around the admissions office, but they can help get people in who normally would not be able to get into college because of failing out because of their addiction or whatever the reason was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have any idea of about how many collegiate recovery communities there are around the United States? Yeah, I would say about... There's about 40 program. There's about 40 universities that have active programs or or are actively in the works of developing a program. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. If somebody was interested in finding one of these programs, how would they look them up? What what would they? How would they search for them? You could go to Google and type in um, Association of Recovery Schools. Uh huh. Um, okay. You can go to Texas Tech's website for the College of Human Sciences and go to the Collegiate Recovery Community, and mm-hmm. I believe there's a link for that or a something to take you to find more schools. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, that's really important. I know. Uh, you know that uh, over the years, uh, there's been sort of a lot of different concerns in the recovery community about young people in recovery and concerns from young people. Because in some ways, uh, young people have different needs than other folks and older people in recovery. Uh, obviously, and the bottom line is everybody's the same. But... Uh, what have you seen as the special uh, issues that young people, young adults have in recovery, and how are those addressed in treatment? I know that Dovetree uh, has a track for young adults, and um, as do other treatment centers, but what do you see as the special uh, considerations for young people in treatment and in recovery? Um, well, I, I think that young people have much different experiences than the traditional adults as far as the reason why they're coming to treatment as, as far as what the crisis situation that made them come to treatment was. Um, they have completely different experiences when it comes to what they've experienced with life as far as, you know, most of them um, aren't married and ha- most of them haven't been divorced or have children or have experienced things along that line. Um, I think that, you know, our, in our curriculum, you know, we've added things that, you know, show that life can be fun without alcohol and drugs and our programs tailored to get them sober so that their dreams are possible, whether that dream is, you know, working somewhere, um, 
you know, gaining that family life back or, you know, higher education. Um, you know, we, we meet them where they are and individually with, and that's individually with each client's needs. But we do things such as, you know, group activities like movies, laser, that bowling. Um, we take them to young people's meetings and, you know, I think uh, a lot of the things in 12 step programs is, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the young people want to say, well, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict. And that's their thing with saying, this is how I'm different. And, you know, I don't know if that's the reason why there's young people, alcoholics, anonymous groups, but I mean, they have those too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what, uh, there are even like conventions like the Glurky Pie, and I don't know, that's the Great Lakes Regional, I don't know, the Great Lakes Young People in AA and all kinds of things. I think a lot, all the regions probably have, have those. Right. So like every mm-hmm. state basically has a young people's conference in every region, and then there's an international one. But, I mean, I do want to say, you know, developmentally, you know, young people are much different. Their addictions are much different, um, and they need to be treat. They need to be treated differently. I mean, they don't, you know, there's young adult programs popping up, and I mean, you know, traditional adult programs and adolescent programs don't work the same way they used to work with young adults, especially with these other programs coming up and hiring staff that specifically works with young adults. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways, I mean, you mentioned, of course, that, you know, young adults often, they know they don't have the marriage and children types of things. What are some of the ways that young adults' uh, addiction experience is different than maybe an older adult's active using phase has been? And, and what do they need to help them? What do the young adults need to help them? I mean, I think experience-wise, like what they go through, a lot of the times it's, you know, dropping out of school, family issues, getting arrested, um, a lot of legal things, a lot of, you know, like we've talked about earlier, everything that goes on on a college campus, all the, you know, the influence of drugs and alcohol, um, I think takes over a lot of young adults' lives. And it's, it's very different, um, especially with, you know, young adults, um, you know, in today's world, a lot of, Young adults come from affluent families where they don't have to work and they don't have responsibilities and they can spend their time after school, you know, drinking and getting high as opposed to going into work. And I think it makes their addiction progress much quicker mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when they don't have other things they need to take care of. Um, and what was the second part of that question? Just so, and and I know in treatment, like, what are some of the ways that maybe that that addiction part is addressed that might be different from adults? I know you talked about the social activities, of course, that are important to let people, you know, learn how to have fun uh, when they're sober. Are there any other ways that uh, counselors in the treatment program or at the program at Dovetree or whatever approach young people so that... Um, in a way that might be different than they'd approach an adult, an older adult. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, I, we definitely, like I said, we tailor our programs to specifically, you know, try to meet their needs and kind of, I, I would say, break up the monotony of treatment. Um, the programs are a little longer so they can adjust. I think, um, you know, young adults are, you know, they're naturally resilient. Um, 
when they come to treatment, they're still closer to the obstacles that occurred while they were growing up. And I think that, you know, young adults are still seeking information. They're more open-minded to taking directions. Um, you know, they're still forming their identity, and they can make changes become part of their lifestyle, I believe, a lot more easier than a traditional adult can. Um, and I feel like they seek these things, and they're waiting for somebody to kind of explain what's going on. Um, you know, most young adults come into treatment fighting, and it takes a while for them to see what the issues are and that it's not just drugs and alcohol, but there's other things going on or that, you know, drugs may not be the problem. It might just be alcohol or alcohol may not be the problem. It can be drugs, but how they're the same exact thing. I think there's a lot of differences and you have to developmentally, they're much different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what about the spiritual aspect? What, you know, even just in, in the world of religion today, there's a lot, a lot of talk about how, you know, young people don't want religion the same way. They want things different. What do you see about that in recovery and how's, how's that approached in treatment and, and uh, in the recovery process? What, what do young people, young adults uh, relate to spiritually? What speaks to them? Um, this is completely my opinion. Um, I know that we at the Ranch at Dovetree, we are a 12-step based program. Um, I think that if you've failed with religion or religion's fine with you and you are good with your higher power or God through religion, um, the 12 steps can't hurt. And, you know, it's an alternative to finding another level with whatever you want to call your higher power. Um, I think young adults are craving spirituality more than a traditional adult. Um, I think they want to know what the difference between spirituality and religion are. Um, I know for me, uh, spirituality was absolutely huge and learning how to meditate, learning what that was, just the whole process is, you know, it takes time. But when, you know, you're learning about these concepts and then seeing it in action while practicing the spiritual principles, you're learning while in treatment and see things start to change, you know, it's, it's quite an amazing experience. Um, I know here we have to teach the difference between religion and spirituality. And a lot of people come in with this idea about religion being the same as spirituality, and we teach the difference and explain to them, you know, maybe your idea of God is, you know, not really what your idea is. It's somebody else's. And, you know, you can make your higher power customized to you. I mean, it's your higher power. Mm-hmm. So you find, so what, what are, uh, what are some of the techniques or some of the practices that, uh, you talked about meditation, so you've learned uh, to do that. That's probably, I'm sure, a part of your spirituality. What other kind of things do get introduced in treatment for young people that help them find that spirituality and that higher power connection? Well, I think, you know, through the 12 steps, they learn these things, but learn, doing basic things like being honest, being open-minded, being willing, um, help you develop spiritual your own spiritual principles. I mean, you start living right, and better things start to happen. And when you're praying and asking for help and asking God to keep you sober and thanking Him, um, you start developing a faith about it when you see things working. Um, you know, we have them, you know, write out, you know, their steps and I, I think most treatment centers do and 
you know, it's, it's a process for a lot of people. And, you know, I know for me, um, some crucial things had to happen in my life for me to actually start believing. Like I always had this idea that, you know, there's a higher power out there, but maybe, maybe this isn't going to work for me until, you know, I practice it. You know, it says we have to practice these principles and you really got to practice it. And Okay, we're going to take another break, but hold on to that. We're going to talk some more about uh, spirituality when we come back. Thanks a lot, Daniel. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how a specific Bible verse might be interpreted metaphysically, then Interpret This is for you. In Interpret This, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley answers your questions about the Bible and how to apply its verses to your life with passion, depth, and spiritual insight. To submit a question or to enjoy any of his numerous metaphysical interpretations, visit unity.org and click on the Interpret This box. Feel undervalued, disconnected, or simply overwhelmed at work or in your business? Are you trying to attract what you need but are desperately worried about cash flow? What if the problems you're experiencing aren't problems at all, but warning signals, clues to redirect? What if those clues are being obscured by your blind spots, the things you can't see that are keeping you from accomplishing your goals? Find out how you can move step-by-step beyond your blind spots each week here with Karin Pettigrew, Wednesday mornings at 9 Central Time on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery@unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is what it takes to be young and sober. And my guest is Daniel Krasner. Daniel is a clinical solutions provider with The Ranch at Dovetree, which is a treatment center in Texas. Their website is www.ranchatdovetree.com if you'd like to read more about them. Uh, part of what they do, they are a treatment center that serves um, a variety of people, and one of those uh, kinds of people that they serve are young adults. And um, they, the Ranch at Dovetree partners with Texas Tech University in a collegiate recovery community that is specifically designed to provide uh, a lot, a wide array of recovery support services for young adults that want to finish their college education. So Daniel and I have been talking about that and about uh, the special uh, life issues and special treatment and recovery uh, needs for young adults. So, Daniel, right before the break, we were talking about spirituality, and you were telling us um, about in the treatment program at Dovetree um, that young adults are encouraged to work their steps, the 12 steps of recovery, to write those down and, and to practice certain values. Um, what happened in your life? You had... I bet a spiritual awakening. Would you share some things with us about that, about what promoted your spiritual awakening? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my 
big spiritual. So basically, um, I always, I always believed in God. Once I got sober, before I got sober, I the thought of God had really never crossed my mind. Whether He was real, whether it was some you know fake thing people talked about, um, but I, I never thought about it. So getting sober and starting to believe in a higher power was it was it was challenging for me. And I would say for my first couple of years of sobriety, um, I'd always go back and forth in my head, like, have I done this all on my own, or do I really have a higher power that I'm praying to and that, you know, has been guiding me through this path? And uh, when when I had about three years sober... A little more than three years sober, um, my sister died of a drug overdose. And I, my sister had a drug problem. Um, she had an eating disorder. And I, uh, I, and she was my best friend. And I always said if anything happened to her, you know, that I would probably, the only thing I'd probably know how to do is use. And, uh, when I got the phone call that she had passed away, um, something took over my body basically. And, um, I didn't want to use, um, that never crossed my mind whatsoever. Um, I got on my knees, I prayed, I asked for help and, uh, I found myself in an AA meeting at my sponsor's house with my entire recovery community, um, surrounding me. Um, and I knew I needed to get home and help my family and be there for my family and, you know, be the son that I'm supposed to be because I got sober to do this and to, be a good child and to be a good brother and, you know, everything like that and just to be a good person and not make it about me but be able to be there for somebody else when they were in need. And uh, for about, you know, I don't know, maybe a month, maybe two months, there was something just guiding me and helping me through this because I didn't drop out of school. Um, I did fine that semester. Um, You know, everything, nothing bad besides that happened with my life. It was a big risk. Even though it was a very hard time and very unfortunate, um, you know, it helped me a lot. It helped me grow spiritually. And, you know, it made me really believe, you know, there's something out there and uh, it's guiding me. And it's, you know, it's been with me my entire life. Mm-hmm. Thank you for telling us about that. And, and certainly, I'm sorry about uh, to hear about your sister. Um, and at the same time, thank you for sharing that. Um, it's true. It's what, what you're saying, certainly. It's like uh, what an what a, an opportunity to uh, affirm and to live your own recovery and see the value of that. Because, like you're saying, I'm sure that if you'd still been using, what would happen for you would have been really, really different than what you were yeah. able to do. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and you know, it gives me. You know, even though it was a very hard time, um, it gives me a lot of passion for what I do uh, in my professional life. Mm-hmm. What drew you to that? Obviously, you are uh, working on behalf of recovery. You're working uh, for a treatment center. You're spreading the word. You're reaching out to people, um, inviting them into recovery. What propelled you into that, Daniel? Um, what propelled me into this? You know, I guess it was kind of a God thing. Um, I, uh, I was involved with the Kennesaw State program, and they had... Um, asked me to come out to Texas Tech with them for a conference to be on a panel to the, talk to some of the people involved with the U.S. Board of Education. And I, uh, I came out to Dubtree, hosted a dinner that night because the Texas Tech and the ranch at Dubtree have a partnership and the conference is at Texas Tech. And 
I came to Dubtree for a dinner and I listened to two of the doctors that helped develop the family program out here give a presentation. And uh, it, was a, it was a great presentation. Um, presentations don't usually, you know, keep me all there. And, you know, I could not stop paying attention to this one. And I really liked what they said. And it was a, maybe not different views than I've heard, but worded much better, um, much more efficiently. And I liked the campus. I liked all the young people. And um, I thought it was really neat, this partnership they had. And because, you know, going to college, I mean, getting sober and then going to college was such a process for me. I didn't have anybody to help guide me. It wasn't part of my treatment plan. There was nothing like that. And, you know, all my family wanted me to do, all I wanted to do was, you know, I wanted to get educated. You know, I wanted to get out of this stigma of being a drug addict that had, you know, nothing going for him. Um, and I learned about this program, and, you know, I really, I mean, I liked what they had, and I thought it was wonderful. And when I was graduating school, um, they basically, they offered, they, they learned about who I was, um, I knew one of the people who worked here, and um, I interviewed with him, and that was that. And I've worked for him since I graduated school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a great opportunity for you to be of service as, as well as it, it being your job. There's nothing yeah. better than that. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, it's like a dream come true. Yeah. I know, speaking of service, I know that service is a, an important part of the values um, of the ranch at Dove Tree, that's part of uh, the values that they teach uh, the clients, and also it's an important part of in this partnership with the collegiate recovery community. How are young adults supported in being of service? How are they encouraged? What did they do, and how does how does the program encourage them to be of service? Well, I mean, there's there's the service aspect with. Are you are you referring to service within you know the rooms of a twelve step program or service within the community? Within the community. Well, you know, with the collegiate recovery communities, they do alcohol and drug peer education stuff in the classroom. Um, people from the you know the collegiate recovery centers, um, they go to treatment centers and talk about the center at the on the campus uh, to the young adult programs. Um, I know here at Dovetree, uh, we're, we're big on community service as far as, you know, doing things in the community like soup kitchen or, um, you know, other things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, so it's, it's sort of organized. It's helped to, it's organized in a way that really promotes people doing that and getting engaged in the community. Right. Well, like you said, there's so much, you know, value from, you know, doing service work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One question I had and, um, is, and it relates to that, and you, you were talking about the students in the recovery, collegiate recovery uh, community going to, I guess, other college classes and talking about recovery and so forth. How do they, how well or not, how, in what ways do they, do the people in the, Recovering Collegiate Program interface with the other students on campus? Are they stigmatized or, or do well, they nobody fit really in? Know. I mean, nobody uh-huh. knows unless you, uh-huh. you tell them. I mean, it's not like you... If you're in the Collegiate Recovery community, you can major in whatever you want to major in. I mean, you can do whatever activities on campus you want to do. It's really just it's kind of like 
a sober fraternity or something like that. Um, whereas you, people don't know. I mean, nobody knew that I was in some sort of collegiate recovery community. I mean, nobody knew in my classrooms or anything like that. So there's no stigma. And when, when we were doing peer education on campus, no, we were doing it as more of a community service thing. They didn't know that we were in recovery or part of the collegiate recovery community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there is some sort of anonymity behind it. Right, right. So, yeah, that makes sense. So people just sort of sort of blend in, and it's more like you've got a home base to come to, a peer group that's a home base, but you're out there, too, and the rest of the campus doing what everybody does, I guess, just being a student. Yeah. Is that kind of? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the goals of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to be hidden on the campus. What I mean... But, I mean, I, I don't think that we're, by the average student, noticed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Well, what, um, we're getting near the end of our time here. We've got a few minutes left. But what words of wisdom do you have for um, adults, either parents, older adults, parents or people in recovery that are older um, that can be sort of the do's and don'ts of relating to young adults that are in recovery? Um, I think for people who, older people who are in recovery, um, I think there may be some sort of stigma um, within the rooms that of 12-step programs that if you're young that you're, you're there, may, not necessarily for the wrong reasons, but because somebody sent you, not because you want this way of life. Um, and I think there's a lot of parents out there who are scared to send their children to treatment or to get them help because they might not get it, whatever it is that you want them to get. But um, I think when you're dealing with the young adults that, you know, as we all know, young adults are, you know, they're, they're pretty easily influenced and, a lot of people come into treatment or walk into AA not knowing what they want. They just know that they want their life to be different, however that means, whether that means without drugs and alcohol or maybe just without the consequences of it. But something changes while they're there when they see other people their age or older people living by example, and they want that way of life, and something clicks, whether that's the spirituality component first or just an understanding of what's really going on. And I think... Uh, we have to give them time. Um, we have to lead by example and, you know, give everybody a fair shot and, you know, hold out your hand for help just as much as you would, as, you know, an older person who walked into the rooms. Um, I think parents um, tend to, you know, a lot of times they think they're a bad parent because of what their kid's going through. And I know I come from a great family and, you know, my parents had nothing to do with my addiction. It's just, the people I chose to hang out with and what, you know, I wanted to fit in with. And it doesn't make you a bad parent whatsoever. And, you know, just because you don't know about this kind of stuff doesn't make you a bad parent. You just, it's not something you ever have to expect to need to know about. Right. Daniel, our time is up, but I want to thank you uh, so deeply for being with us today. And thank you for uh, sharing with us uh, some really, really important information. And you have certainly enlightened me and touched my heart. And I know you have for all of our listeners. So thank you for who you are, for what you're doing, and just keep doing it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. 
And listeners, uh, I know you've enjoyed this today. Join us again next week. Our topic is going to be uh, what women know about recovery. And my guest is going to be Beverly B. And she's going to share with us about her recovery and the work that she does with recovering women at a women's treatment center. So God bless and uh, have a wonderful week. Be blessed. And I'll see you next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Oprah Winfrey says that Eric Butterworth's book, Discover the Power Within You, changed her perspective on life and religion. Maya Angelou quotes Emily Cady's Lessons in Truth as she recalls her own spiritual awakening. What do these books have in common? They are Unity Classics. Join Rev. Laura Beth Gilbreth, Minister of Unity Transformation, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic books. Each month, you'll be able to follow along and contribute your thoughts, questions, and ideas as we examine a different classic Unity book. From Charles and Myrtle Fillmore to Eric Butterworth, Emily Cady, and beyond, experience the foundational teachings of Unity. Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic books. Thursdays on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Repeat the words, God is taking care of it, and it will become clear that you are the channel and that God is the doer of good works through you. This meditative moment, adapted from Mary Cupferly's God Will See You Through, is brought to you by Unity. Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard, isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy? Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show, and I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists and students from Unity Institute and Seminary, topics like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care, religion and politics, current events. Yeah, but they'll all be Unity people, right? Dr. Tom and his students will talk about the hard questions facing all people today, sometimes joined by rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? 
better. He's going to introduce a controversial topic and let students and special guests go for it. This could get explosive. Does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights? (laughs) If I know Dr. Tom, he will keep it both friendly and spirited. Whoa, I gotta hear this. When and where? The program is called Let's Talk About It, and it's on every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio. So let's talk about it. Definitely, let's. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.